this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Good afternoon, my name is Michael Salna and I am a resident in cardiothoracic surgery at Columbia New York Presbyterian Hospital. And today I'm joined by Dr. Yoshifumi Naka, who is a professor of surgery and the director of cardiac transplantation and mechanical circulatory support at Columbia. Dr. Naka, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. The purpose of today's podcast is to work through a patient requiring cardiac transplantation. The patient is a 62-year-old man with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy with an ejection fraction of 25% and several recent heart failure exacerbation-related hospitalizations on IV milrinone with NYHA class 4 symptoms at home despite optimal, optimal medical management. His heart failure cardiologist recommended transplantation. Dr. Naka, how would you proceed with the workup? Are there certain things you look for in the history or physical exam? And what laboratory or imaging studies would you like to obtain? Well, it's uh, a huge question, but uh, uh, let's start with the uh, uh, history. Uh, so we check the uh, like uh, a psychosocial history with such as uh, smoking, alcoholic abuse, and then uh, any drug abuse or uh, incarceration or some kind of uh, illegal activity. And then the other medical issues is uh, uh, we want to uh, make sure the the patient has uh, acceptable other end organ function. We can fix the heart by transplanting a new heart. But the uh, like a patient should have the uh, uh, the reversible or good uh, uh, kidney and the liver and the lung functions. Uh, also, the uh, the the history of a uh, cancer is very important. Uh, we usually wait the uh, like uh, remission uh, or cancer free for at least five years. So the patient is adherent with all of his medications and follow up. He has no criminal. Uh, background history and has strong social support at home. He has no history of cancer. His medical history is only notable for hypertension and hyperlipidemia. His pulmonary, renal, lung, and liver functions are all preserved. His BMI is 27.7 and his BSA is 1.91. A CT abdomen, chest, abdomen, pelvis is normal without any evidence of malignancy. His serologies are normal. His uh, blood group is AB. An echo uh, shows an ejection fraction of 25% with severely diminished biventricular function with moderate mitral regurgitation and trace aortic insufficiency. His left heart cath demonstrates no coronary abnormalities. His right heart cath demonstrates a CBP of 16, pulmonary artery pressures of 60 over 30 with a mean of 40, a wedge pressure of 30, a cardiac index of 2.1 on milrinone, a transpulmonary gradient of 10, and pulmonary vascular resistance of 2.5. What are your uh, relative and absolute contraindications for heart transplantation? Uh, so the, the, again, I uh, said that the, the cancer patients, uh, actively infected patients, uh, such as mostly the bacterial infections, uh, some viral infections that we may accept, uh, and uh, uh, 
the the if the patient's PBL is greater than three uh, at Columbia, uh, we usually try to uh, lower or see the reactivity of a pulmonary vasculature uh, by challenging uh, using the uh, uh, nitride or nitroprusid or nitric oxide and uh, other pulmonary vasodilators. And if the uh, patient pulmonary vascular resistance is reactive and uh, uh, reduced by the dose medication uh, uh, less than three, and then we accept those patients. Uh, other contraindication is the uh, the, the, uh, the body size, uh, especially the, we do not uh, want to accept yeah, the BMI over 35 or the less than the 18. Based off your discussions with the heart failure cardiologists in the local OPO, he is listed as status four under the new heart allocation guidelines. You anticipate his median wait time to be several months. With decreasing donor availability, have you expanded your donor criteria and are there any donor characteristics that would dissuade you from accepting a heart? Well, that's also the uh, tough questions. Uh, about 15 years ago, we started the uh, uh, high-risk uh, program, uh, which accepted a high-risk recipient uh, who may receive the high-risk donor, such as the reduced uh, EF or maybe a non-significant coronary artery disease by the uh, angiogram or uh, like uh, all donors. And then the recipient, uh, a high-risk recipient is uh, like an advanced age recipient and HIV positive and then some other uh, end organ dysfunctions. Now, we don't have a high-risk program, but in a previous high-risk patient is now uh, uh, accepted for the, our regular program. And uh, accordingly, we accept uh, high risk nature of a donor such as a distant donor or with the prolonged ischemic time the advanced age donor over 50 years old and maybe some questionable ventricular functions and then the prolonged downtime but with preserved EF on the echo assessment so those are sort of a high-risk donor, and then the uh, reality is that uh, you may not see frequently that the perfect donor. So the, but the some of, majority of donor carries a sort of like a, a, a bit of uh, the high-risk nature. So you, uh, a heart becomes available. Uh, the donor is a 46-year-old man who's declared brain dead in the ICU after a motorcycle accident. He has a history of hypertension and hyperlipidemia for which he takes Lipitor and Lisinopril. He's HIV and hepatitis C negative with no signs of infection. His uh, echo shows normal biventricular function with mild mitral regurgitation. A left heart cath that was performed demonstrates clean coronary arteries. There was no known downtime in the field. He does not have a history of cancer. CT of the chest, abdomen, pelvis do not dem does not demonstrate any evidence of malignancy. Uh, the patient is two hours away by ambulance. The donor team calls you to tell you that the heart appears suitable for donation. How would you proceed with transplantation? So the, we always have uh, the first call for donor, uh, whether or not we accept the, uh, that donor. And then 
we accept the donor and then we will we would send the uh, our donor chain so the uh, uh, meanwhile we prepared our recipient and the recipient would be taken to the uh, uh, holding area or maybe ICU or uh, CCU to get the aligned such as the swan guns and the uh, arterial line and then the if the donor is very uh, close to the recipient hospital and then we'll take the patient to the OR uh, uh, anesthesia induced and then prepped and waiting for the uh, final assessment by the uh, donor team of the you know whether or not we accept the donor finally but usually that uh, we wait the uh, uh, donor team's uh, visualization of the donor heart once the the donor team visualize the heart and then uh, report that the heart is uh, good enough and then uh, we take the patient to the OR quickly uh, induced and prepped and then the uh, uh, in this case the uh, our recipient uh, has a primary chest and I give the uh, one hour uh, from skin incision to the completion of the cardiectomy so that uh, uh, once uh, the donor team uh, accept and then cross cramp and then the when they uh, leave the uh, uh, donor hospital they will call us and accordingly we uh, time the uh, like a skin incision and then the uh, we complete we complete the uh, uh, cardiectomy of the recipient heart uh, usually uh, immediately prior to prior to the uh, donor team arrival to the uh, recipient or if your recipient had a left ventricular assist device, how would that change your timing or operative strategy? Well, that's a little bit tough uh, uh, surgery, and especially the our recipient on device uh, uh, often wait uh, like uh, months, and the majority of them wait years, so that they form the uh, significant adhesion inside the chest. And we would like to be safer side so that now I will take the three hours uh, between the skin incision to the completion of the cardiectomy. So that the uh, uh, distant donor, we can kind of uh, uh, arrange the time. If the like uh, uh, cross uh, location, uh, we ask the, uh, the donor team to wait the, uh, the cross cramp. What is your order of anastomoses? So the uh, anastomosis often uh, all, always started uh, starts with the uh, left atrial anastomosis, which is most posterior structure, and then the uh, we mostly uh, do the aortic anastomosis as the second anastomosis, and once we complete the aortic anastomosis, we declamp the aorta and start reperfusing the uh, donor heart and then the rest of uh, anastomosis uh, ivc svc and the pulmonary artery anastomosis uh, are done with the beating heart condition what are the most common intraoperative complications that you look out for or do you have any advice for those performing cardiac transplantation well, uh, same as any other cardiac surgery, but especially the uh, cardiac transplant, 
which frequent encounter the complication is right ventricular failure or right ventricular dysfunction so that uh, like we would like to avoid unnecessary blood product transfusion in order to uh, avoid the uh, uh, unnecessary blood product transfusion you have to be very careful and achieve the perfect uh, hemostasis so the when you when you perform anosmosis just be careful meticulous uh, uh, stitch and then avoid any additional stitch to uh, repair the anosmosis and especially the erotic anosmosis which is the most pressurized uh, anosmosis and better to be careful and meticulous you've performed all of your anastomoses but are having considerable difficulty in weaning the patient off cardiopulmonary bypass do you have a certain threshold for when you will leave the room on extracorporeal support? So that has been the problem when you encounter the primary graph, uh, primary graph failure. And then uh, the, our strategy to, uh, to treat the primary graph failure has been modified a lot. Now we are using uh, ECMO as a kind of uh, powerful inter-aerotic balloon pump. So when we encounter the poor uh, ventricular function, either or both of right and the left ventricle, upon the uh, uh, attempts of uh, weaning cardiopulmonary bypass, with uh, medium dose of uh, uh, pressors and inotropes, we keep the uh, cardiopulmonary bypass uh, cannulation, but uh, change the circuit to ECMO circuit. And then the reverse did the heparin totally. While we are achieving the uh, uh, hemostasis on the ECMO support with the totally reversed heparin, uh, the heart may recover so that we may be able to uh, take the ECMO cannula out and then can close the chest. In case the heart does not recover on ECMO support while we are achieving the hemostasis, we change the cannulation to the groin and then take the central cannulation and close the uh, chest and take the patient to the ICU and then try to extubate the following day. The patient as well does not require extracorporeal support after the operation. What is your expected post-operative course for this patient and what are the most commonly encountered complications? If the heart function is perfect and then the patient would recover very quickly and may leave the uh, ICU like uh, three days. But uh, uh, we often encounter the, the right ventricular dysfunction which uh, requires the uh, prolonged inotropic uh, support. So that the patient may stay in the ICU uh, while we uh, wind down the anatomical support uh, to the uh, uh, like a low level. And then the uh, patient also requires the, uh, the myocardial biopsy, which is usually scheduled a week and two weeks after the surgery. So even a perfect uh, the scenario, patient may stay in the hospital for two weeks uh, to see the uh, two negative biopsies. The patient does well, receives his biopsies and is discharged from the hospital two weeks after his transplant. Dr. Naka, thank you very much for taking the time to participate in this TSRA podcast on cardiac transplantation. Thank you.